You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Sweet. Holy Spirit number three. I was really glad we were doing this series because we, uh, just like we said, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit in our tradition a whole lot. It's dangerous. Um, And so I was like, that's great. I don't want to preach in it. And Josh was like, no, it'll be good. We'll, we'll have you talk about like the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament perspective, so it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's been good. I've been taking notes uh, kind of forever. I grew up in a tradition. Uh, this is not something that I, I feel real comfortable talking about. I'm kind of like what Josh said at the beginning of the series. I, um, I grew up in the, uh, a Protestant Reformed background um, where, where the joke was the Holy Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Like we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Like that's dangerous. Like we talk about objective things that we can exegete. Um, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Jewish background uh, doesn't necessarily help in, in, when it comes to Christian orthodoxy surrounding the Holy Spirit. So that's not a whole lot of help there. And so I'm like, ah. So I've been working on these notes for like a few weeks. Um, and then when we started the series, we showed this Bible Project video. I love the Bible Project. Bible Project fans out there? Yeah, yep, Tim Mackey, those guys, really good, really good stuff. Um, and uh, I always feel like they beat me to the punch. Like I felt like they were using my notes as a script to their video. I'm like, that's not fair. Uh, so what I wanted to do, but trust me, they put it together better than I was going to. So what I wanted to do was I want to go back to that video because if, if we're going to look at the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament perspective, I feel like they nailed it. And so I want to kind of go through the video chunk by chunk and just kind of talk about it as they talk about it. I'll add just a little bit of commentary, and then I want to spend a ton of time in the text, and I really want to get done on time today. Really want to. Um, So are you guys ready? Here we go. Okay, here we go. Bible Project video. Okay, so perfect. So this, so we have this dark, chaotic nothingness. In the Hebrew, if you remember... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Somebody over here, tohu vavohu. Sorry, I got a little excited about that. Um, tohu vavohu, this chaotic nothingness, wild and waste. And then the spirit, the ruach, which you're going to hear in a moment, the ruach of God is hovering. The word is merahefet. Say merahefet. And I've talked about this before, but there's a dove over in the Middle East that I've been told is only a species of dove that's only in the Middle East uh, that, that hovers. It has the ability to like hover in, in one spot. Yeah, I've seen it a handful of times. It is the creepiest thing. Like you're like, whoa. It's like a hummingbird, but its wings aren't moving like a hummingbird. So it's just like in one spot. It's like, and you're like, whoa, weird. I got a photo of it once and then realized, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm like, look. And it was like, it's a dove. <laughs> no, it's, never mind. Okay. So, so the idea here, merahefet. So get that picture of a dove just hovering just hovering in one spot. The idea is you've got chaotic nothingness and right over the chaotic nothingness is the Ruach. And, and the, one of the rabbi, rabbinical teachings is that the moment, I mean the moment that this hovering Ruach just kisses the chaos, order springs to life. Like that's all it takes. The spirit of God just kissing the chaos, boom. Order springs to life. Okay, so two quick things. Number one, this this idea that wind, breath, and spirit are all the same word. They're they're all an interchangeable idea. 
By the way, this also happens in the Greek, which is almost unheard of. Like it's somewhat of a borrowed idea, but you never see a Greek Western language doing that kind of same thing as the, as the Eastern, like a Hebrew language. That hardly ever happens. But in the Greek, the word is pneuma, say pneuma. And pneuma means wind, breath, and spirit. That's almost unheard of. Now, what I have found helpful when I'm reading and wrestling with teachings on the spirit and what, is I will interchange the words. You don't have to like that. You don't have to do it. But for me, I've found it helpful. Like uh, in the beginning, uh, the, God created the heavens, the earth, the earth was formless and void, and the spirit of God hovered over the waters or the breath of God hovered over the waters or the wind of God hovered. I feel like when I, enter, when I exchange those words, I feel like I'm getting a better idea of what the word is rather than a systematic theological definition of what the Holy Spirit is. Does that make sense? I've just loved that. I, I will often interchange those words. So we say we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Holy Breath living in us. We have the Holy Wind living in us. Like that helps me, I feel like. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm there. Okay, second thing is, um, what was the second thing? Um, oh, I, I love their choice of word for energy. It's hard to talk about the Spirit without trailing into what feels like really weird Eastern mysticism. And, 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 well, you're just talking about new age ideas. It's always hard to find English words to help us understand this without going there. I like the idea of energy, spirit, wind, breath, God's spirit. God, there's a power, there's an energy behind it, okay? Okay, so what I love about this part is, and I love the graphics of this, if we're gonna understand the Holy Spirit from an Old Testament from a Hebrew scriptures, from a Hebraic Jewish perspective, in their Hebrew scriptures, the Holy Spirit is this thing that comes upon unique people at unique times for a unique purpose. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit comes upon, uh, what was the first one they had? Joseph. The Holy Spirit comes upon Bezalel. The Holy Spirit comes upon Samson. Shimshon, I love saying it in Hebrew. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon David. What does David say? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's what David says. Because in their world, that you've anointed me with your Holy Spirit, please don't take it away because I've screwed this up. Don't take your, so the Holy Spirit is coming on and then I hate how they use the phrase a group of people because it didn't come simultaneously on a group of people, but the same Holy Spirit came upon Isaiah, came upon Habakkuk, came upon Joel, came upon Jeremiah, came upon Obadiah. Does that make sense? Like the, the Holy Spirit is coming upon unique people at unique times for unique purposes. At least that's how they write about it. That's how they understand it. By the way, everything I preach on today, you're welcome to disagree with me on. I really am not super ultra confident about any of this stuff. I am learning as I go. Is that okay? Or should I just get off the stage? Are we okay? Okay, we're good. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay, so this is where I feel like sometimes our Christian doctrine can sometimes get in the way of understanding the Holy Spirit from, if we're going to, and there's lots of ways to talk about it, but if we're gonna look from the Old Testament moving forward, from the Hebrew Scriptures going forward, I feel like this is part of the place that we get lost because when you get to like, like I love that they chose the story of the baptism of Jesus and a, and a new creation coming forth. That's exactly there in the Jewish mindset. But the Spirit of God is coming, it's doing the same thing to Jesus, listen, 
It's doing the same thing to Jesus that it did to, or or I I should use he, be more theologically correct. He is doing the same thing to Jesus. Actually, the word is a a feminine, she, whatever, but nonetheless. (laughs) He is doing the same thing to Jesus that he did to David, the same thing that he did to Samson, the same thing that he did to Bezalel, the same thing that he did to Joseph, the same, see, when we look at it, we're like, yeah, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God, they're all the same thing. Okay, but that's not how the story tells it. And you can't understand that story that way, but we all go, ah, who really cares? It's just a big, mushy, same thing. Okay, let's follow the story as it's being told because the story is what the inspired thing is and our Christian doctrine and creeds, you, I think you're smelling what I'm cooking, okay. Okay, so, and that's exactly correct. The New Testament writers say it's the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Not his own power because he was the Spirit, not his own power because he was God. I believe all that to be true, but Jesus, we're told in the New Testament, set his, while he was God, while being God, set his divinity aside, not considering it something to be held on to, and even though he was God, came and functioned as a man, taking on the very form of a Servant, Philippians says. Does that make sense? So this Holy Spirit is coming, and and it's the power of this Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead. And now this resurrection is going to change, listen, everything. The resurrection changes, this is why I get so fired up on Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection changes everything on every level, everywhere. Okay, so now because of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit's able to do something more than what he has done in the past. You tracking? Before it's just been Bezalel, David, Joseph, Samson, a prophet, Jesus. But now that the resurrection has, and this is what Jesus tells his disciples. We're gonna see this in just a moment. I have to go. You want me to go, Jesus is gonna tell his disciples. Because if I don't go, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. Because something new happened at the resurrection. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't just come on unique people at unique times for unique experiences. Now a whole group of people are empowered when the Holy Spirit falls on them in a brand new way. Yeah, now you guys are tracking. Okay, at least Josh is. All right, here we go. Right now, I have no idea how I'm gonna do this in the next uh, 10 minutes, but here we go. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna go back to that conversation that we started this series with between Jesus and his disciples. And I just wanna listen to it because anytime a rabbi talks to his disciples and teaches his disciples, he's always going to be talking about, from a Jewish perspective, something in the text. Thank you. There's something in the text. And I wanna look at what's in the text. I think it's gonna blow up in our world coming at it from a... Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament perspective. Now, Jesus, on the night that he's going to go die, has the Last Supper, yes? Talks about how people are gonna betray him, yes? Then he leads into a multi-chapter teaching. John 14, 15, 16 will lead into his prayer of John 17. A huge discourse with his disciples, centering on the Holy Spirit. Grief, comfort, Holy Spirit. I want to walk through portions of that talk 
look at the Hebrew scriptures and try to go, whoa, what, whoa, okay? So, so here we go, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You, but see, see, they're finally picking up. They're finally picking up during the Last Supper. They don't understand it all, but they're starting to pick up like he's talking like he's gonna die. Like it's finally hitting them. Like he's been talking about it a lot, but now they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And they're now starting to get the, this is the end. They're, they're picking up on that. This is the end of whatever we have going on right now. And so Jesus comes to them and he's trying to like help them through this moment. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, not many mansions, by the way. If that were not so, I would have told you so that I am going there. To, would I, so would I, I hate the way this is worded. Would I have not told would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Imagine if you're a disciple sitting here. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And don't like be like stupid, Thomas. Like you would have been like, what? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that explains it. If really you know me, you, will, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe in me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Woo! You ever read that verse? Do you believe it? You'll do, we will, we, we, you, plural. Don't you know that y'all, y'all, will do greater things than me. Whoa, we'll do greater things than Jesus, apparently. Because I am going to the Father. And I, do, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. There's that word. The word, the word is parakletos, say parakletos. It, it, it's a legal term that refers to an advocate. It refers to a legal advocate who's going to come along. It's not the same kind of legal system that we have today. So you can't think lawyer. That's not the right way to think of it. How do you say that word? Lawyer, lawyer, whatever. Um, so, so, but it is this person that stands up in court and pleads your case, stands there alongside of you. It is a witness, a character witness, but more than that, something between a character witness and the lawyer. It's a different legal world, Okay but that's parakletos. I will send you a parakletos to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. What? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then a little bit later, he talks about the vine and then a little bit later he says, uh, uh, oh, maybe we're still in John 14, sorry. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, 
the other Judas, uh, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I am reading this on purpose. Please try to hang with me, okay? John 15, here we go. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master. This is a hard, like, can you imagine being in like your final intensive class with Jesus that night? You're like, whoa, whoa. Instead, I have called you friends. So I no longer call you servants, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's a weird thing to say, but a little bit later. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. Listen to this. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Those two words go together, testify and parakletos. I will send you a parakletos who will testify to you and for you, and you need to parakletos, it's not parakletos, but you need to testify for me. Those ideas are connected. All this I have told you is that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Apparently, it's going to get kind of hard for them. It's going to get difficult. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Actually, they just did, Jesus. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Listen to this. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Think of the Bible Project video, yes? Because of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit now is able to come to all of God's people and fill them. You need me to go. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Sin because people do not believe in me. Righteousness because I'm going to the Father and where you can see me no longer. And judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Okay, let me tell you in two minutes and 16 seconds. Just kidding, wink. Let me tell you about another passage in the Old Testament. It comes from Isaiah, chapters 40 through 54. And we have talked about this section of Isaiah before here, but let's do a crash course. This is what's called the servant discourse in Isaiah, okay? This portion of Isaiah is being written to the people who are in Babylon. Your whole world has fallen apart. Babylon has destroyed everything. You are now sitting in Babylon. You've lost everything. You've lost your jobs. You've lost your home. You've lost your temple. You've lost it all. You think it's all dead. You think your faith is worthless. And, and the prophets are writing to God's people, trying to tell them it's not purposeless. It's not dead. In fact, there is a future, and you are supposed to be a part of it. And the point of Isaiah's servant discourse, one discourse, just like John, big long discourse of three chapters, 
Here's 14 chapters of Isaiah dialoguing about a servant. The servant is clearly identified. Clearly, don't believe me, pull out your Bibles, go to Isaiah 40 through 55 and study it this week. It says about 40 times who the servant is, Israel. The servant is Israel. Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Israel, you are the servant that I've chosen. Jacob, you are my servant. Judah, my servant. God's servant is his people. I have a servant who is sitting in exile in Babylon. And the servant is going to have to suffer. But if you will suffer, your children will live in a world where they don't. If you can persevere through exile and hold on to your faith, your children will live in Isaiah 55 through 66, which is glorious, by the way but we will not get to Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come and buy bread that costs no money and milk that is free. We will not get to that world unless you persevere through exile in Babylon. You tracking with me? By the way, Isaiah 53 shows up in Isaiah 40 through 54. Spoiler alert. That was a joke. 53 is the suffering servant discourse, which every time we hear it, we all think of Jesus and for good reason. But when Isaiah wrote it, it was not about Jesus, not primarily. When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, he was struck for our, he was pierced for our transgressions, struck for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. The servant has already been identified for 11 chapters as God's people. God's people will be pierced. God's people will be struck. And by the stripes that God's people entertain, we will find healing. Now, Jesus comes and fulfills it perfectly. But that's what Isaiah was originally talking about. I just want, I just want you to hear. Just, just listen to these words. I could be totally crazy. Listen to this. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Just, just quick, quick review. Who's the servant? Sure. Okay, just making sure. You descendants of Abraham, my... That word's not used a lot in the, Old, in the Old Testament. And it's only used of a few people, one of them being Avram, Abraham. Abraham, my friend. What did Jesus say in John? I had no longer call you servants. I call you... Woo! Okay, that's awesome. Okay, anyway, that's so cool. I just love that. Okay, I took from you the ends of the earth... From its furthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not, do not be dismayed. Isn't that what Jesus said in John? Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I will strengthen you and will help you. Isn't that exactly what he said in John? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's go a little bit later. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. By the way, who's the servant? Israel. I will put my spirit on him. On who? Thank you. On God's people. Now, don't think Israel, modern day Israel. I'm talking about God's people. We read that and we go, Jesus, sure, not what's being said. I will put my spirit on my people, my servant, and he will bring justice to the nations. Who will? God's people will. Come on. All right. Here we go. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Is that Jesus? Oh, so why are we arbitrarily picking which ones are Jesus and which ones aren't? 
We can't do that. We do it all the time, though. Well, that's about Jesus. But the next verse isn't. Just bring it in context. Gosh, dang it. Okay. Who is blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. You are my witnesses. You are my what? My witnesses? That is the closest word in the Hebrew that you get to in the, in the Greek parakletos. That, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the legal, that's the term in the Hebrew that you would use for the legal advocate, the witness. What, what did Jesus say? I will send you an advocate who will be an advocate for you and then you will be an advocate for, you will be my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Okay, let's go to the next one. But now listen, Jacob, my servant. Still, who's the servant? The God's people, Israel, whom I have chosen. Jacob is a prophetic euphemism. It's a picture of God's people. Representative, this is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you, do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshua in whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my, on your, and my blessing on your descendants. Why is Jesus saying all this in John? Because it's what the prophets foretold. He's like, it's gonna happen. But here's the beautiful thing. In Isaiah, it was really, really hard because it was just you and God on your own and your obedience. But now I'm going to send you a, I'm going to send you a helper. And now it will happen. It will truly happen. Remember these things. Oh, let's go back. Remember these things, Jacob. And you, Israel, my, am I making my point? The servant's clear. I'm just hoping you're, I have made you. You are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I will not forget. This sounds like Jesus. From now on, I will tell you of the new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have heard of them before today. So you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. You neither heard them nor understood them. For of old, your ears have not been opened. Jesus said, a new command I give you. I'm telling you, Jesus is working with the text. Come near to me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret, which is the exact opposite of what he just said. At that time it happens, I am there. But that's exactly what Jesus did too. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his spirit. But now it's Isaiah talking. So I wonder if this would be appropriately seen as, because this isn't a reference to the servant. This is a reference to the prophet. So who's the prophet character in the John dialogue? Say Jesus. Thank you, I know I'm confusing, but that is track with okay. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and to gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, is it, too, it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Listen, I will also make you a light to the, what is the whole New Testament gonna be about? That my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. I, even I, am he who, what did Jesus do at the end? Look at the subtitles in your Bible. It says Jesus comforts his disciples. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that fear mere mortals, human beings, who are but grass? Now, here's my point. Jesus is not just coming up with stuff on the fly. Jesus is working with a section of text. Very, very 
deliberately. Now here's one last closing provocative point before we serve the Lord's Supper. The, the whole servant dialogue is about how God's people must what? Suffer. And what did Jesus say in John? It's going to, it's going to get really difficult because the world's, John 15, we didn't read it, but in John 15 he says, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Do not be troubled. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here, here's the tricky thing about the spirit that I think we ought to wrestle with. I just think we ought to wrestle with. This whole dialogue about the Holy Spirit and what's gonna happen in the New Testament is completely couched in the fact that God's people are going to suffer intensely, but that they're gonna be able to persevere. And we love to talk about the Holy Spirit in our prosperity gospel uh, evangelicalism about how the Holy Spirit is going to fill me up and make my life great. That is not what Jesus said. Now, I know he might, and I'm not telling you that the goal of your life is to suffer. That's not my point. But I think we ought to wrestle with how we use the Bible. In your home groups, wrestle with that. In your families, around the dinner table, wrestle with that. Wrestle with the fact that we read the Bible as the people on top and none of the Bible was written as the people on top, none of it. The Bible was not written by nor to the people holding the sword. The Bible was always written by and to the people on the receiving end of the sword. And it makes it very, very difficult for you and I as the largest superpower the world has ever seen to read the Bible. So wrestle with that. But Marty, what are you saying? I don't know. And I, my time's up, so I can't keep talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Wrestle with that. Because the Spirit is not given so that you can have more prosperity. The Spirit is not given so that you will be more comfortable. The Spirit is not given so that you will have more ability to prove all of your pagan neighbors wrong. The Spirit is given that you'll be able to make it through whatever lies ahead. Because you are called to be his servant. You are called to be the one he has chosen. You have been called to be his witnesses. And he will send you a witness. So do not let your hearts be troubled. I don't know what lies ahead for you or me or us or Cincinnati. Or I, don't I don't know what lies ahead for any of us. What I do know is that the Holy Spirit is there for the struggle. And I'm sure for everything else too. But make sure we listen to what's being said not what's not being said. You with me? Excellent. Uh, we're gonna let our servers go back and get ready for the Lord's Supper. Oh, man, I'm so late again. Ugh. My deepest apologies to the children's ministry. If you are here and you are visiting with us, we have an open table. Um, that means that if you wanna celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, your family here this morning, and so you take some bread and you take some juice. We hold it all together and we take it all together here in just a moment. As we get ready for that, uh, we have some questions. Questions that we can think about right now. Questions that we can think about on the drive home. Questions that we can talk about with others. Questions we can use in our home groups. Questions that we can use in all kinds of places. Questions that you can journal about in your prayer journal. I think you get the idea. I have three of them for you today. Do you see yourself within the context of Christian community, 
Because the spirit is always a plural you. The spirit is always a you all kind of thing. The spirit is not a me and the spirit, me and the spirit, me and the spirit thing. That's not how the spirit works ever in the New Testament. The spirit is always indwelling y'all, not you, y'all. It's always you all are living stones being made up into a spiritual oikos. Oikos, that's a fun word, isn't it? Say oikos. That's a house. You're, you're being built up. It's a, it's a spiritual house. It's a temple. You, you are being built up into a temple, but you are all just stones. You're not the temple. We all are temple. So, so within the context of Christian community, as the main vehicle the Holy Spirit uses, it, do you see yourself as the main vehicle? The, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about do y'all see yourselves as the main vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses in the world? I hope so. And if the answer is yes, I hope that is a convicting, sobering thing to consider. Because the way that we live, we are the advocate for Jesus. Not the capital A advocate, that's the one he sent to us. But we are the little a advocates. We are the witnesses for him. That will be difficult, but don't worry. Because he sent us the capital A advocate. Is, it, is teaching on the Holy Spirit challenging to you? Are you like a lot of us in the room? And there are some of you that are like, no, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. You guys don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. Thank you very much. Okay, good. When you're in care group, don't phrase it that way. And as you're in a home group, just help, help with, with humility and graciousness and compassion. And maybe, let's see, whether yes or no, what are, your da- what are the dangers of your response? So, so is the teaching of the Holy Spirit challenging to you? N- no. What is the danger of that response? <laughs> what are the possible dangers of that response? If your answer is yes, okay, what's the dangers of that response? What are, what are the dangers of that? Because then we end up not talking about it and it becomes the forgotten God. Can you believe what Jesus said in John 14, that we will do greater things than he did? I phrase that as a yes, no question, and I'm hoping you'll do more with it than that. Can you believe that Jesus said in John 14 that because of the advocate, capital A, we will do greater things? We'll do greater things. And those greater things are probably going to come through suffering. That discourse happened after this moment. That whole teaching happened after he broke bread, drank from the cup, that, that whole discourse. Take heart, this is, this is our moment where we get to leave here, take heart, don't, don't be troubled, for I have overcome the world. Whatever lies ahead of you, Jesus has been there. Whatever you're going through today, if you're like prosperity gospel is the, further, the furthest thing from my experience. Yeah, it was Jesus's too. It was the furthest thing from Jesus's experience. And so he, he joins you in solidarity and says, yes. Yeah, broken bodies, yep. Blood spilled, yep. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Been there, done that. I have overcome the world. The resurrection changes everything. That night, Jesus took a piece of bread. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body given for you. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus.
Finally, Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He told them to take it and drink. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus. Father God, would you uh, fill us as your resurrected community, uh, children of the resurrection, people filled with an advocate that maybe in times past came at unique times on unique people for unique purposes, but now fills all of us? Like, like Darby told us last, last week, he, he fills all of us? That's wild. Honestly, bigger than I can even get my, my head around. But God, would you, would you, would you call us? Would you, would you move us? Would you, if this Holy Spirit's living in us, would you provoke us? Would you fill us? Would you send us as your witnesses, as your servant into this world? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.